when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. Well, judging by the number of viewers and the critical acclaim, Game of Thrones would have to be one of the most successful television series ever. But what does it reveal about the struggle of the human heart to find meaning and significance? Stay with us to find out. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, welcome to August, the first episode of Signs of the Times Radio for this month. And our first interview for this month is our cultural commentator and film critic, Mark Hadley. How are you, Mark? Good, thank you, and thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's great, great to have you there on the, on the phone to, to help us out. Now, Mark, I have to confess that you, know, you wrote this great article in this month's magazine entitled, Why We Love to Play the Game of Thrones. And I know that the Game of Thrones has been just this incredible phenomenon for you know, quite a few years now, and some people are totally into it, but I have to confess I have not seen one episode. <laughs> <laughs> First, firstly, because it's on a platform that you know I don't subscribe to. But secondly, I think I heard that the first season in particular there was a lot of sort of sex and violence and nudity, and I thought, nah, I think I'll I'll just stay away from it. So, so can you help us out, Mark? Can you give us a, a bit of a crash course for people like me who who are the initi- uninitiated to explain like what's the deal with the Game of Thrones and and why did we love it so much? Mate, I'm happy to help, and I just want to say to people who are quickly reaching for their dial to sort of go somewhere else because they're afraid they'll hear spoilers, I'm not going to destroy anything for you because I know a lot of people have been anticipating the end of, of Season 8. And for, as you say, it's been going for a number of years, 10 years in fact. Whoa. So if you spent the last decade trying to just preserve something for yourself so you can actually watch it, listen to it, you won't have it ruined by us. Okay. Look, the basic story is set around a continent on a, on a different world, an alternate world, mm-hmm. and the continent is Westeros, uh, and there are, um, there are seven kingdoms that make up this, and, uh, this sort of continent, and there's an, uh, an outlying world to other sort of uh, nations that have influence on it, but the drama largely is centered on this continent, and who is going to rule this continent. Okay, uh, so, 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 t- so basically, Mark, we're talking about the, the fantasy genre here, I guess, like something along the lines yes, of, sort yes. of sort of Lord uh, of the Rings, kind of old-fashioned swords and cloaks and, and magic and, and dungeons um, and, and all this sort of stuff, but set in, in an imaginary world. Yes, now you're making it sound very, very much like uh, a fantasy, you know, high fantasy indeed. Mm. Uh, but the interesting thing about Game of Thrones is it's, it does have a sense of the Lord of the Rings about it, if you like. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in this sort of imaginary fantasy world where the normal rules don't apply. There are, there are sort of elements of spiritual and, and sorcerous type things going on. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, the, what has grounded Game of Thrones for viewers and readers alike is the fact that it's actually a very earthy human drama. So right. it's not, uh, there, there are too many you know, moments where the, a Gandalf-style character will stand up and, and pontificate about the nature of existence and how he must... You know, if he did in Game of Thrones, someone would slip up behind him and probably just stab him in the back and move on. Right, okay. <laughs> it is a very brutal, realistic take on the world. In fact, that is actually what the writers have 
push themselves towards is to say, you, you uh, noted certain things that were in it. We actually make it for, you know, I would say cautious viewing, mm-hmm. something you have to be very careful about. There, there is nudity and, and violence and things like that going on. And the writers say these things are actually part of, of the human condition. Mm. They're part of what happens in war. We felt that uh, if we were going to be honest about what war is like, we should include them. And, um, and in fact, political drama and the rest of it. So right. there are distasteful things in the series, but the, the, the attempt is basically to uh, say, you know, if, if people literally had to battle over a continent and work out who was going to be the supreme leader, what sort of characters rise and fall? So that's probably one of the key themes. You know, who wins, who loses in a context like this? Yeah, and, and I guess the power of, of fiction or fantasy or, you know, science fiction is to take the... You know, because the setting is in a completely, you know, another planet, another world, we can sort of divorce ourselves in some ways from the reality of, of our everyday lives and, and our own sort of political positions and stuff. And we actually get to look at the issues and the conflicts and the personalities sort of in isolation from our everyday lives. And it's a sort of a way to, to put things at a distance, but yet to uncover the truth about things that are very relevant to, to life today, here and now. Spot on. Uh, absolutely. In fact, that's the whole purpose of science fiction or science fantasy. I think sometimes people uh, give the genre a bit of a bad rap. They go, oh, you mm. know, I'm not really into laser beams and, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and barbarians with swords. But the truth is that when we actually put something at a distance from ourselves, we get a good chance to actually see. In fact, it's a, it's a recognized psychological counseling technique mm. that when you want to sit down and work out your problems, you imagine your problems not between you and somebody else or something mm-hmm. like that or, or on top of you, but you place them in front of you and try and look at them objectively, as we say. In a sense, uh, when you look at a series like Game of Thrones, it's saying, hey, here's the human condition. Mm. Here's what we're like. You, know, you can see it's all dressed up in furs and armor and things like that, but here's what we're actually like. What do you think of that? Mm. Who can you cheer? Who, who can't you cheer? And that, for me, is fascinating because I sit there and I go, as I ask myself uh, after a decade of incredible success, I mean, if we, if we consider the, the level of success of this series, we've got to start asking ourselves, why? I mean, there are, uh, by the time we came to the uh, end of the series, at least in free-to-air alone, we were looking at around 40 million uh, viewers per episode. Wow. Um, it's just crazy the amount of people who are actually watching this. Hmm. And, and so you actually have a, a sense of, of hundreds of millions of people agreeing on something. It's, it will probably go down in history as one of the most popular TV series of all time. Mm-hmm. And in that case, here's a, here's a, I'll give you a clue. Anybody wants to be an armchair reviewer, anybody sitting there going, you know, I'd like his job, that'd be a great idea. Let me give you a clue about reviewing. You can be the sort of guy who sits back and pontificates about what goes on in film and television, or you can ask yourself the serious question, why did this attract people? Yeah. You know, a lot of reviewers want to talk about the quality of something, mm-hmm. but still lots of tickets get sold or still lots of people sit down and watch something. Yeah. And we do ourselves a service when we ask ourselves why. So if we came to the end of 10 years of Game of Thrones and we didn't ask ourselves what happened, well, then I feel like, you know, 
We, and we just talked about the special effects or something like that. We'd be doing our viewers, our listeners a disservice, hey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that the answer is is obvious in some ways. I mean, when you've got people, you know, running around with, you know, swords having battles and all these sort of political intrigues and these fairly complex characters, but by the sound of it, that is very engaging just from a, a narrative, a, a plot point of view. But but I think you, you see something deeper there in, in terms of answering that question, you know, why did we love it so much? And the critics liked it too. It won a lot of awards, didn't it? Oh yes, I mean, like this is the most uh, in terms of the award, uh, of the Emmys, for example, like which is daytime television in the United uh, television in the United States. Yeah, the Emmys, it, it's the most awarded show ever. So forty-seven wow. Emmys, you know, it's incredible. But I, I want to go one step further from a writer, Kent, uh, mm. from a writer's perspective, Kent, and say that you know, to say we it's a, just it's good, healthy escapism, or we just enjoyed it, or there's lots of political intrigue. Mm only sort of scratches the surface because we've got to say, well, why did we like that particular drama? Well, yeah. Why was that intrigue fascinating? And personally, I see a yearning going on right through Game of Thrones. You yeah. know, I'll be honest with you, this series should not have succeeded in the West. And if you think about the approach in the general public today towards mm. violence on television, it shouldn't have succeeded. Mm. If you think about the attitude towards women and, and our values in that area, it should not have succeeded. And yet it did. And so there's some, there's some big subterranean current going on that's attracting us. And I personally believe it's meaning. Hmm. There's a, there are a couple of um, sort of communication theorists, a fellow called Mark Say is one of them, and he suggests that life can be divided into three big reservoirs. Mm-hmm. You know, so imagine you've got sort of three you know, buckets of... A sort of, of internal feeling inside of you yeah. that you're committed to. And these buckets are community, freedom, and meaning. Yeah. And in our, you know, to have a balanced life, we've got to have a sense of a, we're, we're going to be topped up in community, and we're going to be topped up in freedom, and we're going to be topped up in meaning. And if we have both community, freedom, and meaning, you know, we'll feel like we have a balanced life. Okay, so, so um, just, sorry, can we unpack that for a minute? When you say yeah. c- community, like, what, what do you mean exactly? What, what, so, what, what, what is that in the human soul that needs community? Yeah, so we have this sense of human beings are social animals, if yeah. you want to put it that way. Sure. You know, we, we need to be connected. So we feel that, like, the, in fact, one of the interesting things that happens almost any time a great tragedy happens in the news that involves, say, a lone gunman or something happening at a school or, yeah. or murders, we actually often examine the, the perpetrators in the light of their connection. Yeah. And so we're not surprised if we hear that, that this person was isolated, a loner, disconnected from their community or somehow antagonistic towards it. Mm. You know, it makes sense to us that that's an unhealthy state of mind. Right, And right. then on the other, on the other, on the other sort of step is, is freedom. That yeah. We have to feel we've been made individually even though we relate collectively. Mm. So we feel like um, that a person is never really quite a full person mm. unless they've got a chance to be able to express themselves for who, I would say, who God has made them to be. Yeah. Okay, so they have a, a, a particular part of themselves. So you might, you know, somebody else might use, interpret that differently, but at least they'd understand that we are made individually. So there's that tension. Okay. But then 
Yeah, well, that, that, yeah, that, that that makes sense. So, so in in regards to freedom, I guess we're talking about the sense that we we have a choice to do one thing or another, a sense of control over, over our own lives, and and that is difficult to balance with community sometimes, isn't it? You know, we have family expectations, work expectations, or school, or or you know, our nation generally, and we are always in a balancing act, aren't aren't we? Really, between our individual desires and the requirements or expectations of of the people around us. Absolutely. And one of the things that actually helps us balance that out is that third bucket inside of you, if you like, Mm. and that's called meaning. Right. You actually have a way in which you organize the purpose of your life. You choose and you don't choose to do Mm. something Mm. based on this sense of meaning. You limit yourself or you determine to make this a goal based on this sense of meaning, a framework that gives meaning to your life. Mm. So put these three together, community, we can all see our need for connectedness, you know, freedom, we, we have a, a need to be who we are uh, and to express that, and in meaning that somehow balances out whether I choose community or freedom in this case, whether I choose myself or I choose to work hard or to take the day off or whatever it is, those three things, community, freedom, meaning, make up a person. Wow. Um, so this is just this is one particular theory, but I think it's a, a pretty helpful way of looking at things because you can use it as a diagnostic tool for yourself. You know, you can be going through your day and feeling just frustrated about how your life is at the moment. You might stop and say, well, do I feel disconnected? Do I feel frustrated? Do I feel like it's just aimless or pointless? And you're asking yourself questions like, well, community, freedom, meaning. Mm. But here's the trick. Here's the trick. Theorists are pointing to the fact that, that our buckets are out of balance yeah. you know, in society today, that we are actually, that the freedom reservoir or the freedom bucket inside of us is draining all the others dry. Right, and, and, and I think in your article, Mark, you say that perhaps Western society in particular with our emphasis on individualism and, you know, I will be who I want to be and, you know, is like emphasizing this, this bucket of, of freedom and as you were saying just now, to possibly at the expense of those, those other two reservoirs of, of meaning and community. You've got it. You're, you're, we're draining them dry. Yeah. So what happens is we're, we're, we're saying freedom is more important than community. Mm. You know, so you can't tell me you know, who to be or what to do. Um, uh, my individual experience is more important than um, my family experience. And, and so this translates into so many different ways from, from the, the minor, like it's more important for me to go out and do what I want to do on a Friday night than to spend time you know, with my family, mm. through to the major, you know, I, I, I'm going to leave this relationship because in the end it's just not serving me. Mm. You know? And so, so freedom is taking away from community, but freedom is also taking away from meaning. And you think to yourself, oh, freedom would give me my meaning. You know, I'm going to I'm going to be free to choose whatever meaning I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if you could do anything, absolutely anything, then everything has pretty much the same value. There, there's no guiding light in anything. Uh, if, there's, if you can wake up and, and just be anything at any point and choose anything you like, then you're waking up with an empty slate every day. And that sounds attractive until you try and lead, and try to lead a life that way. Yeah. In fact, it's, it's by the restrictions of our freedom that we actually decide who we are. So I choose to be a, a, a husband by deciding I'm I'm not going to have relationships with people outside of you know my wife. Hmm. You know, and, and that's 
that's a restriction on my freedom which gives me meaning. Or I choose to be a faithful dad. And, and in being a faithful dad, that means, you know, I'm going to be home for things. And I'm, on Saturday morning, I'm going to not have the freedom of sleep. I'm going to get in the car <laughs> and go watch the soccer game or cheer on the side of the basketball court or, or do the netball thing, you know, and sometimes all of them, you know, so one after another. It's the restriction of freedom that actually gives me meaning. I, you know, I make choices. Mm-hmm. But the more I tell myself, freedom, 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 well, actually, the less happy I feel. Now, at this point, you might say, well, what the heck has this got to do with Game of Thrones? Well, um, yes, the- I, I, I was going to ask that because in, in your article, you actually go through a number of different characters and, and how they actually deal with this interplay of you know, community, freedom, meaning, and you, you actually identify or diagnose, I guess you, you could say, um, some of the characters there. Yeah, well, look, I'll, I'll go as far as to say all of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's so easy when you, when you start looking at the, the characters in terms of whether or not they're letting freedom overflow everything or whether or not they're restricting themselves in order to sort of achieve community goals or achieve, you know, meaning in life, hmm. suddenly they just all split in half. And you know what we call them? We call them the heroes and the villains. Right. And that, that's what's attracting us. If you go down the list now, I'm, this is for some people who've seen a little bit, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm just going to say, look, if you go down the list, there's a character called Peter Baelish. Hmm who runs brothels, but also who, who trades in people's lives so that he can gain power. You know, he's made his goal of, of being free from any restriction of, of one day climbing on top of the Iron Throne himself so important he'll betray anything and anyone to get there. You know, and he's a villain. There's a, there's a horrible little twerp of a character who becomes king, a fellow called King Joffrey. Hmm. You know, and Joffrey is a meandering evil you know, in the, in the series, the first few seasons in any case, because he's, he's, his whole framework is I can torture anybody I like. I can do what I like because it's my pleasure that is the most important thing. Or another guy called, you know, Ramsey Bolton, who's horrible, you know, just a horrible, horrible character. And we, and we hate him because he has made his pleasure in the most perverse, horrible ways the guiding light to his life. He's actually destroyed any sense of relationship that he could have because he's just allowed freedom to overwhelm everything. Mm. And then, on the other side of the roster, well, what have you got? You've got uh, Jon Snow, uh, a man who's, who's said to himself, look, I've, I've made oaths. I, I have family. I've got promises. Mm. I'm going to li- at every point, I'm going to limit what I do in order to rise up. You know, in order, well, in fact, he's not even aiming to rise up. But he finds his meaning. You know, he's not, he's in balance and we love him for it. Mm. You know, we wish he would sometimes take more for himself and he doesn't because it's important for the sake of others. And, and then you've got, you know, uh, other people like uh, Tyrion Lannister. Very famously, Peter Dinklage has pretty much built his career. Uh, this might, uh, you know, on being Tyrion Lannister. Mm. And, and Peter Dinklage's character is, Seems to be morally flexible, but the truth is, you know, he has a limit, and th- and that is that he places limits around protecting people who are, are less able than himself, mm. because he's often referred to as the dwarf and the imp. You know, um, he he's realised that actually he power needs to have limitations, or otherwise everybody gets crushed, mm. and that obviously mm. brings us onto the final 
well, uh, character of the, whom the series is largely about, which is, you know, Daenerys Targaryen, or as my wife likes to refer to herself, the Khaleesi. You know, she goes around the house. That'll be a joke that other people understand better. Okay. But the, uh, not you, Kent, but watch the series. No, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's a title of some kind, like a, a queen it, or something? It is. In yeah. fact, it's actually, it's, it's so pushed into popular culture, uh, Khaleesi has actually become a popular name for girls in America. Well, there you uh, go. And interesting idea. But here she is. She's not trying to just climb up onto the throne for the sake of, of power and control and, and even you know, maybe self-protection. She's climbing up onto the throne because she wants to leave the world, as she says, in a better place than where she found it. Mm, and, mm. and that is her duty. Now, and she limits what she chooses to do, even though rage and desire, you know, will attack her at various points. She chooses to limit herself. Now, I've got to ask, even though our world is organized completely around freedom, 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 why is it that we love the characters who actually say, you know, meaning is more important yeah. and limiting my freedom is more important. Well, well like you say, you know, one character says, I have taken an oath and I'm going to stick with that through thick and thin. Or, you know, or, or someone who says, you know, my family is the most important thing and I will go through any amount of suffering or, or diffi- difficulty to, to get there. Or like you say, the, the queen, you, you know, that you just mentioned, who, who seems to have this really firm commitment and this firm, you know, morals sort of direction in her life, which will mean that she doesn't necessarily take the easy road, you know, the road of freedom, the road of, of her own pleasure. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the answer to this is that regardless of what we tell ourselves at a more public stage, science fiction has helped us reveal that we just don't believe it, mm-hmm. that we don't believe that freedom should be the ultimate goal. And, and when we vote with our remotes, we <laughs> vote with our, our, you know, our wallets, we, we vote resoundingly for limitation for the sake of meaning, mm-hmm. that we want balance between community and meaning and freedom, and freedom can't overwhelm these things. Now, I, you know, you'll find time and time again within Game of Thrones, the realistic world, okay, will overwhelm people with, with the great moral choice that they're going to actually limit their own freedoms. In fact, right yeah. from season one, you know, you see great characters cast down basically because they chose to be moral over being practical, so mm, to speak. Mm. So there is that tension that goes through the entire series. And, you know, without, without giving away anything of the way that the series is concluded, that, that caused a great deal of pain for, you know, long-time viewers in the final season. You know, what was going to win out? Was it going to be the practicality of how life really works? Or was it going to be the people we actually loved? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to say, in all honesty, people who are asking, well, it finished this way or it finished that way, look, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. We kept watching because we loved the idea that the, that the people who actually had meaning in their life, who were prepared to limit themselves for the sake of a greater purpose, were, were doing it. And we were cheering them on. And regardless of how they end the series, if we even feel disappointment about the way they ended the series, the truth is we do so because we actually agree with the premise that meaning is more important or meaning cannot overwhelm freedom. Sorry, the other way around. Freedom cannot be allowed to overwhelm meaning. That's why many people finished feeling somewhat out of place. 
yeah. that they still agreed in the end. So, so Mark, it seems to have been uh, there seems to have been a change in the way that you know fiction is is structured. I mean, uh, we see in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, we have this Captain America character who's sort of comes back from this sort of 1950s all-American, I'm the squeaky clean good guy. And he's sort of laughed at a bit in in that series because of his squeaky clean good guy sort of credentials. And it seems that in more contemporary, you know, fictional narratives, we often have a more complex, a a flawed hero. You know, is this person a hero or, or a villain? Or even an anti-hero. I mean, I guess I'm thinking of things like, um, like Deadpool or Kevin Spacey's uh, character in that. Uh, what what was that White House drama that um that Green he Hill? yeah that well the one he was turfed out of <laughs> recently. Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I think we're talking about Green Hill, but um, yeah. Uh, look, uh, to answer your question, it's the tension between what we know is true mm. or, or what we feel in our hearts should be true mm. that we're all reaching for and the world in which we live. And I think that's a really important tension that you draw our attention to mm. because we keep uh, rising up and falling down and rising up and falling down because we're, we're acknowledging a truth which we can't let hold of. I mean, if you think about it, if we were just practical, if we were uh, just going to pursue a life that worked, we'd jettison all of these morals and these, these, these meanings and this, this search for something more. Mm-hmm. We would be evolutionary atheists. We would just say, look, we're just animals and, we're, and it's all about who finishes with the most chips at the end of the day and I hope you had a good ride. Yep. You know, but it's, it's not that. We realize there's something else there. So what that tells me, you know, I'm going to actually steal a quote here, and I'm going to say um, C.S. Lewis actually put it much better than me when he said, you know, if I find within myself a desire for something that is overwhelming and yet not of this world, I don't conclude that it doesn't exist. I conclude that it's just not of this world, hmm. you know, that it actually belongs to another world. And so I find within my, you know, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's very important for us to understand that if there is a tension with our hearts that there is something more and yet we can't find it, it just means it's not here, so it must be somewhere else. Mm, okay. um, you know, and if, if human history and the human condition for thousands of years has kept saying, strive, 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 because there is something more, then I think that's even greater evidence than somebody who says, well, listen, you know, um, I can't find any, I can't put God in a test tube, so I, I, can't, um, I can't believe in him. Now, you've actually got the testimony of history sitting behind you and all of human experience saying, no, actually, there's something more there. And a Game of Thrones episode sits inside of that entire narrative. There we are saying there's got to be something higher to reach for. There's got to be something more. And I want to say... Um, the difference between the real world and Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones can only point. Because you know, I can't go out by a sword and, and carve a meaning in an empire, yeah. um, not without being arrested. So, <laughs> so this is basically the truth. And yet there was a man, uh, Jesus, who said, you know, uh, in the real world, in real history, there is something more. You can find it. This longing makes sense. You are hoping for heaven. You are looking for your creator. You want a relationship with God. And to me, I find that valuable when I I feel that longing through TV programs. Mm. Because I remind myself, it could be just depressing. I could just 
flick off and go to bed and go, oh, gee, wouldn't it be nice to live in Westeros or, or <laughs> contrary, wouldn't it be nice to live in the Marvel Universe or be a superhero or something like that? Yeah, yeah. But actually the reality is I can turn things off. I can walk out of the cinema and go, you've reminded me of a truth. There's an even bigger picture outside of me. It's real and I can actually be part of it. Mm. And every time I see a fantasy story, like I said earlier in our interview, it just reminds me that we're externalizing something so we can see it and realize it. But that doesn't mean it's just a fantasy. No, it's there, and it's, it's there to be had. And, and so, yeah, I'm kind of still excited by fantasy because it reminds me what I actually believe in, what I'm actually reaching for, and what I can actually have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be incredible truths in, in fiction, can't there? Well, mm. look, th- thanks so much, um, Mark. We really appreciate you um, yeah, exploring that for us and uh, helping us to go deeper in, in I get our viewing habits and the sorts of uh, shows we follow. And I, I really loved that um, that whole idea that you brought up for Mark Sayers, you know, three tanks, meaning, community, freedom, and, and how we balance those in our lives. And it really does seem, listening to you, that, you, you know, you, you, you seem very, you know, obviously and overtly you know, coming from a Christian point of view and you, you seem to feel that you've found that, that balance between those, those three buckets in, in doing that and it's re- really good to, to hear you, you know, express that. Well, I'm, I'm always happy to come on, mate. And um, just, just saying again for a warning for those people, Game of Thrones may not be for everybody. Um, I'm certain my mum will not be watching the series. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that said, um, you know, you can, you can find a lot of, re- of redemption in these sorts of things if you realise we're actually trying to find out something about ourselves, some real truth in the end. Yeah, thanks very much for your time today. Really appreciate it, Mark. Always a pleasure, mate. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.